No, I didn't actually attempt. Um, I haven't gotten to that point, I guess. The courage, the strength that it takes to be open and honest about this. Instead of just, you know, blaming myself that he's not here anymore. Uh, I was prepared to shoot myself. Um, and I called my family sort of say goodbye to be honest i was scared reaching out for help because i was like this could totally ruin my career somebody to have a more proactive approach and that he was coming to me to be that person they found him and he committed suicide i just started screaming i just felt responsible Hello everyone, I am Tim Lawson, founder and host of the One Too Many Veteran Suicide Podcast and Project. We're in episode 9 here where I'm going to feature Army veteran Miley YC, who is a very, very inspiring individual with her backstory of being a sexual assault survivor, a cancer survivor, a single mom... So many parts of her life just breed survival and courage and bravery and just the push to move forward. She's going to share with us a story uh, about a friend of hers who took his own life and some of her own struggles that she had in recovering from some of her traumatic events, although maybe not leading to suicidal behavior, definitely difficult for her to deal with while being in the military and her reflections on those situations. My interview with Miley was a long one. I scaled it down just a little bit to best fit into the podcast, but what wasn't used on today's episode will get thrown into snippets on episodes in the future. Enjoy my interview with Miley. She's a very, very well-spoken individual. I'll provide my feedback and my reflections after the interview. I guess I'll start by saying kind of what I've told, what I've said before is that in the community that I worked in, you don't talk about PTSD. You don't talk about being upset um, when you're on a deployment and something happens or you lose a brother or you lose a sister. You kind of, you have your moment and you feel for them, but you keep going. Um, there's a stigma definitely attached to saying I need help or I came home with a lot more baggage than, you know, and it never went away. Um, so I, when I was at Fort Bragg, I had a lot of different friends and we all worked in the, the special ops community. And, um, I worked in the schoolhouse there. So you always run into people who are a little bit, we call them a little bit crazy. And, um, so I had a small group of friends and we all knew everything about each other. And one of my friends introduced me to another staff sergeant and, we kind of bonded over all of us because it was three three of my guy friends, all from different areas. One, um, combo, special ops combo. The other guy was um, special forces. And then this guy was in training. So his job before was um, – let me just say Chris. His job before was uh, – so basically in your circle of friends, you always know – you always know the people who've seen some and done some. And, you know, and if you go out drinking, they all exhibit behavior – worse than others and um this particular guy um my friends always joke whenever he would do something crazy like get angry very fast over something um my buddy would i'd say i'm like man he needs to chill the hell out and um he's like man he's he's got a lot of issues he just came home or some something like that so 
as I got to know this guy, we both worked in the schoolhouse and he was a master fitness trainer. He was amazing. Like every, everyone went to him with any type of physical fitness thing. His, let's just say his capabilities, his physical capabilities were a feat. Like he was amazing. Um, so him and I bonded over that. We both trained soldiers. We both stayed, came in early and stayed um, late to train soldiers who weren't quite making the cut, whether it was for school purposes or um, their PT test. We talked a lot. And, you know, whenever we would go train by ourselves and he would talk to me, he'd tell me about like his kids and I tell him about mine. He'd tell me about his current girlfriend. Um, they, we just had conversations, but he would always like start to talk about things and I, you just kind of listen and it just, it never set right with me. And so I always told him, I was like, if you ever need anything, please call me, just call whatever it is, just call. So our, his best friend, m one of my best friends sat me down one day because I just kind of asked about, you know, what's the deal with C? And he told me, he's like, dude's got a lot of demons. He's, you know, done multiple tours overseas as an infantry and the, as an infantry guy. And then he was a sniper. Um, so there's a lot of demons. And then he had to deal with a marriage issue that didn't go right. And, you know, kids are in a different state. So he had a lot of, a lot, a lot of stress, you know, and a lot of things in his mind. Quick, very quick tempered possessive fear of losing everything like it was always dramatic you know he's very the steely-eyed killer guy but when he snapped he snapped hard like it was bad um so one time i planned an event and i asked um my friend james to his best friend james to be the security for it and he brought along c and so they were both they both had their concealed carries and and i always just pick on them i'm like jesus christ the two least sane people in the world have their concealed carries. This is crazy. Yeah. God help us all. So, um, you know, it was a joke, but later on that night, they ended up going to visit his girlfriend and his girlfriend worked in a strip club, which was probably, and I've said it to him before, as jealous as he is, it's not a good idea for him to go there. She was, she was a waitress. Um, but you know how people are at those places. Right. So every single time they would go there, he would get into a fight or he would get jealous. And, and, and it was always something. And he, we'd talk about it the next day. Um, one night he called me and he's like, hey, we're going to meet at 5 a.m., right? And I'm like, yeah, I'll be there. So we met at the gym and he could just not stop like freaking out. Like, he was freaking out. And so I was like, you know, you probably should go talk to someone. And he's like, no, hell no. He's like, I, I can't, I'm in the middle of the, he's going to, he was in the school, in school for special forces. And he's like, I'm, I'm in the middle of training. They already have enough issues with me for how quickly I snap. And I've had a lot of write-ups and stuff. So no, 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 this will ruin any chance I have at a career, um, a future career in special forces. And, um, you know, I just, I, you try not to push it because it makes, it sends them more, makes it worse. Yeah. So I just kind of told him, I was like, you know, I'm here for you, um, we care. We all care about you. And and if I was being a good friend to you, I'd tell you that that girl's trouble. I was like, I'm just letting you know. You don't. People in a relationship don't intentionally make each other jealous. That's wrong. And I said, so that's my opinion, though. I can't do anything about it, and I'll support you. He just kept he was super, super agitated. And I, and we made all of the friends made phone calls back and forth, just saying, you know, hey, you know, what are we gonna do? How do we help him? And none of us could really help him because he didn't want any help. And you can, when you push, you make it worse. So um, I, in the community we work in, you don't bring it up. Like even me being a single mom with the things that I've been through with the, the rape and the assault and everything, and you don't bring it up because it's red flags everywhere. Go go see psych. Go. You know, it's like a, 
Um, so he he just put on his, his, his normal mean mug and he went back to work. That night I um, went to sleep early and I, for some reason I slept through all the phone calls, but I woke up at 5 a.m. and I grabbed my phone and um, I think that morning my daughter was sick. Um, grabbed my phone at 5 a.m. and and I shot him a text and I was like, hey, dude, my daughter's sick. I have to wait for the sitter to get here. I can't meet you at the gym. And didn't hear anything back. So I, you know, sent him one more text and tried to call his phone. and kept going to voicemail. But I listened, I had three missed calls from my buddy James, um, C's best friend. And uh, I, so I called him back and he didn't answer the phone at all. Like no voicemails, nobody was answering. So I was just like, okay, well, maybe they were out drinking last night. Because it was like 3 a.m. is when I got the calls. Um, went into work that day, shot him a couple more text messages like, hey, dude, when you start working on this, I have a great idea. You know, just continuing the day, you know, trying to just give him something positive to, to start planning for. And um, one of my – I'm just saying this person's an asshole. We never really I – get, I get along with everybody, but he did not like me because I didn't feed into his crap. So he walked in the office as an NCO, and he walked in the office, and he was like, hey, you look – you look happy with all things considered. I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? And he's like, he's like, you know, I figured you would be a mess and want to leave. And I'm like, what? why would I want to do that? I was like, get away from you? Yeah, sure, let's go. I'll leave. <laughs> and he's like, no, um, your boy, the master fitness trainer, I heard he blew his brains out last night. And, like, that's how I found out. Oh, my God. Just like that. And I kind of just, like, dropped everything I was doing. I'm like, I'm sorry? He's like, yeah, our commander is the the uh, investigating officer. He's like, I figured you knew. And I'm like, no, dude, I've been trying to get a hold of him all day. So I'm just like sitting there shocked and like I'm just like staring at the computer. I'm just like, oh, my God, that's why that's why James was calling me. And like immediately you start thinking it's hard not to become selfish in that moment because you're like, oh, my God, what if I had answered the phone? Like what happened? Why? You know, what if they were calling me for help and I couldn't help? You know, so yeah. it, it's hard not to – you you have to like snap yourself out and be like, Oh my God, why did I just start focusing on me? So I asked for permission to leave and I left and, and went to my buddy's job and went straight to see James. And I was just like, what happened, dude? So I just went, I was like, what's going on? Like what happened? Please tell me, tell me it's not true. And he's, he's like breaking down and, and James is the kind of guy that doesn't cry. He's been on like, he's been on like 12, 13 deployments. You know, he's that guy. And, um, so he's like, he just looks at me and he's just like, he's gone. And I'm just like, what happened? So they give me a, a brief synopsis of kind of what happened. Um, basically, um, C went home that afternoon after we talked, and he was planning a he was planning on going to like a family wedding or something. His girlfriend, all of her family lived in one house. When you have a girlfriend who ha- is high maintenance, who makes her own money, but you want to spoil her. Chris was not in that position to do that, but he did it anyway. So he was always stressing money. He was always stressing her cheating or other people trying to get it. Or so there was a lot of friction in that relationship. Um, and I was friends with the girlfriend. And that's how come I was able to give advice to him about her. Not like a guy's going to listen to you anyway. But right. um, So basically they went to a party, like a, a family party for her family. And while they were there, it was like a wedding or something. I think Chris was trying to like push to to spend time with her and she was just pushing him away like let me have a good time I'm here let me have a good time and her ex showed up which caused a lot more drama and um he ended up leaving early and they got she got home and they were fighting really really bad and uh 
I guess they just things were said and she was just like, you know, stop this. I'm over this. Let's just let's just go to bed. Just leave it alone. He's like, no, you're cheating on me. You have to be cheating. So it was a lot of going back and forth of all these stories that he made up in his head that had to be happening because at the end of it, he didn't feel like he deserved her. And he knew that some, she had to be doing something because all the men in the world wanted her. Yeah. Um, so he con- he just concocted all these stories in his head about what was happening and that the world was against him and no one would support him. And that losing her was the worst thing in the world because he had lost everything else. Because he had some issues at the schoolhouse. He didn't have his kids with him. So it was a lot. Um, and they said that he grabbed his gun and he was just like, screw this, I'm done. And she, I, he had threatened to kill himself a bunch of times before, and she never said anything. She just thought he was playing. Or not not playing, but what she told me is she thought he was joking like he always does. And I'm like, he always jokes about killing himself? Yeah, that's... Um... <laughs> you know, and, 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 and so I guess what happened was is he went out to his car, he pulled it off into the dirt, and he called her one more time to try to get her to change, like, I guess to... I don't know what he wanted out of her. I don't know if he wanted a, to her to say, yes, I'm cheating on you or yes, someone's hitting on me or something. He wanted something to confirm what was going on. And she just flat out told him, I'm done with this. I'm going to bed. And he took a shotgun and put his mouth on it and pulled the trigger. I, when I was talking to David, like, or not David, sorry. When I was talking to James about it, James just kind of looked at me and he's, my, he's like, Miley, you are one of the few people that he let close that you he wasn't close to for a long time. He's like, me, the dude had a lot of demons. He had a lot of anger that no one ever dealt with. And he had a lot of fear of losing losing people close to him. And he was the guy who, he's perfection. Um, he was so good at everything he does. He, the, he didn't know the word fail. He didn't know... There was never any in the beginning of his career. He was that guy that everybody looked at and was like, yeah, screw it. I'm not going up against him. He'll beat me. It was that guy. Everything came naturally to him. So for a few years, once he came home after all his deployments and he tried to do something new in his career, all those demons piled up. And his anger, there's no place here in the States for you to to vent that anger. Yeah. There's there you can't not here not here in the states you're not normal if you do you can't be the same way as you are on the ground over there because it's illegal, um, so he didn't have a place to put all that like that displaced anger and aggression and depression and fear, so he took it out on the people close to him it got him in a lot of trouble it ruined his potential career of being a green beret and then when things got to the point where financially he was failing. His relationship, he felt like it was failing because his girlfriend could be cheating on him and his career wasn't going to be what it what it's supposed to be. He just thought that, screw it, no one understands and I won't go out like a punk, so I'm not going to go in there and say I need help. So I'm just going to take what I've got now and end it all. Do you, do you feel like his – do you feel like the uh, – what's the right question? His frustration – the dissonance that he was uh, – he was – battling with his girlfriend do you think he was using that as the vehicle to to try to get his demons out like do you think do you think it was do you think it was those demons coming out and and ruining the relationship or do you think he do you think there was legitimate issues in a relationship that were separate to the rest of his demons is is that does that make sense yes okay um i think that i think that when it came to him 
um, because of a previous relationship he had, he was really trying hard to be perfect in this one. And he was, from what I, here's the thing, with the woman that he was dating, I, I knew her before I knew him. And she's, you know, she's, she's a good, she's a decent woman, but that woman, we all knew her as she came over here to the States and she knew how to get money to get given to her to get what she wanted. I think that some of the things he was saying, we all know were legitimate that he was, that she, she did play games behind his back and she would say she needed money when she had a lot of money. And, and, you know, in, in, in that culture, though the man takes care of the woman it doesn't matter what money she has so she definitely threw that on his shoulders i think that i think that he became mean i think all of his friends telling him that dude what the hell are you doing messing with this girl she's like she's going to play you all the guys she's probably hooked up with every dude there all she you know she's all about money so people were airing her dirty laundry trying to help him and i think that made him more aggressive she told me because I had to go over and pack up all his personal effects from her house. And um, weirdly enough, I'm the only person from the army that she would talk to. And I got stuck there listening to her talk for 12 hours straight. And I it, no, it was hard on her because, you know, no one's probably blown their head off in her driveway before. Right. And you know what I mean? And so I know it was hard on her. So I was trying to be a decent person. I didn't like her, but I was trying to be a decent person and be there for her. Um, but she says that he became very violent, very abusive. He would grab her, snatch her up, and, and things like that. And part of me believes it because, you know, in a previous relationship, though his significant other, I guess, did something and he snatched her up as well. So I think that he was trying so hard to have some sort of control in his life. You know, this, 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 you know, everything's uncontrollable and we all gra- try to grasp at whatever we can control. And I think that he used the relationship as his period on the end of a story at the, at the end of a sentence, you know, like he's like, if, if this, if this blows up in my face, if I feel like this is, I, this, I feel like this can't be perfect, then I'm done. I've given my everything. I've given my all, you know, I, I'm broke. My kids aren't here. I'm just done. And normally a military-minded person and some other people too. Suicide is when you have children, you don't you don't consider that because then your kids don't get any life insurance, you know, because it's kind of like, well, if I go out that way, I'm not helping my children. Yeah. So you have to be really, really, really going through some stuff to to be that to have that to have that that determination and will to do something like that. Like it has to be as bad as it can get. And we always tell people when it gets to the point where you think this is as bad as it can get, you need to talk to someone. And he just refused. And I think the relationship definitely probably accelerated the process. I think that. Um, do you do you feel like do you like do you feel like his refusal to to talk to someone or to get any sort of help comes came from not wanting to challenge those ideals of being the type of military person he was yes absolutely i think and and i think i've always thought that you don't it doesn't matter whether you're special operations or not because it happens in the regular army too but people who as you get older in the military you you realize that you you've you accept it and realize that asking for help probably isn't such a bad thing but there's this fear that whatever you say is going to get put in some sort of magical record somewhere and it's going to prevent you from going and doing anything better 
you know, climbing that tree of success, branching out into other fields. So I think that for him, I mean, the dude was a stone cold soldier, you know, like infantry. He had his expert infantry badge. He'd been to SEER school and selection and he's, you know, he was a sniper. You know, he's done it. He did it. He's let's just say when with his job, <laughs> the guys used to joke that, you know, with his job, he was the best at his job because it required no conversation with anybody. He just got behind a gun and took care of business. And we used to joke because Chris doesn't talk. He doesn't talk. He takes care of business. That was the joke. And for him, I could see the thought of going to get help. It was beating his head. You know, you don't ask for help. This is your job. And if you can't handle it, if you have Pete and I'm doing air quotation, PTSD, you're weak minded. Get over it. And I mean, to this day, I have friends who work at, who work um, with the VA, and they have people who have 24, 26 years come in, you know, from being infantry or special forces or anything like that, and they, they say they diagnose them with severe PTSD, and they're just like, why did you never go get help? And they just tell them, because you don't do that. If you do, you're that guy. Everybody knows. And even, even, even though it's not true, it's not true they're going to spill your medical records out there. But you'll wear you'll you start embodying. Damn, I'm that guy. You yeah, I, I think I definitely I definitely think the the myth of that guy has definitely gotten far more exaggerated than what the truth is. Exactly. There's, there's definitely a truth to it because I've you know, I've done a handful of these interviews and it's there, I mean this is a common theme mm-hmm. is you know I didn't I didn't reach out for help because I thought it was going to impact my career. Yeah. And you know so it's it's obviously a reality, but I think that. I think we assume the the fear is the reality, but the consequences of it, I think, are are just are exaggerated. Oh, absolutely. Unless yeah. you're going for something over the fence, unless you're going for something over the fence, honestly, there's nothing there's there's nothing that's going to be written up and says, oh, my goodness, this soldier cannot has no career potential because they are they're suffering from traumatic, uh, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. Point in case, point in case. After my my rape and assault and kidnapping, I called my one of my docs from my unit and asked him to come. The police came. We took care of things. I went I went to the hospital, did everything I was supposed to. And when they started talking about sending me upstairs to talk to someone, I was like, nope, I'm good. Thank you. Three days later, they told me to take the whole week off. I couldn't do it. Three days later, looking like someone beat me up, I went back into work and – was fine for the first few days because everybody walked on eggshells around me. But the minute that someone, and I started to go see the the therapist they sent me to, the minute someone pulled me to the side and said, the minute someone pulled me to the side and was just chatting and they were just like, are you okay? Um, you just don't seem the same anymore. Like you, you, you kind of just seem, you're very quiet and you, you don't seem like yourself. I took that as, oh my God, they can tell I'm going to therapy. I'm done. And I never went back. I probably I needed it at the you know you don't see it you don't see the the effects of therapy till later on but I probably needed it but just because one person said that one person that I wasn't acting like myself I was like oh my goodness change my name tag to that guy they know I can't wow. do it and I never went back um, and I've I've even I've said it any any person in the military can tell you depending on their job can tell you they've indulged in cracking jokes about people who claim to have PTSD and everybody's like, whatever, what did you do while you were deployed? You know what I mean? And, and I've had to sit and talk to people a lot about, look, 
I've done it before. I've cracked jokes. Like when we were we were out there living in villages and stuff, and we would crack jokes when someone would say, oh, so-and-so came back and said they had severe PTSD, and they lived on one of the biggest bases we have in Afghanistan that has a TGIF Fridays. And I cracked jokes. I was like, what the hell? How do you, What? I don't have any issues. And it's just it's, – it's a shield because you're like, holy shit. If, if someone who – lived on a base that was subject to IDF and, pos- and insider threat and stuff like that could have PTSD. Damn, I must be really messed up. Well, so we all put up that shield and we're just, we don't want to be labeled. Yeah. Well, there's, there's definitely, and I think that's, and it makes complete sense because this happens in all areas of life is mm-hmm. when, when you experience something that is negative one of two things can happen that that may you know or you know there's multiple things but the two the two things that i've been seeing is either someone else who has experienced something worse will sort of ridicule you for for pointing out that you've experienced this exactly or the or just the simple you see that they went through something worse and they didn't ask for help so you're like well if they didn't ask for help i probably don't need to or i shouldn't so even if yep. they don't point out to point it out to you it's like well they didn't because I, I i hear stories from the va where you know like well why didn't you come get help like well i figured that there's people who needed it more and they and that's their reason for not getting help themselves is they they don't want to take away from the time and resources that people who who quote unquote seriously need it not realizing that they're one of those people. Um, I I think um there's one of the things that I I heard it we did that special the homework bound special um for PTSD and um there's a a soldier who kind of said it the same way that I've been saying it. It's just he made more sense of it than I think I've been able to make for people. Um, he was saying that, you know, people people don't pay attention to what PTSD stands for. They don't pay attention to that part. Yep. Anybody anybody can get PTSD. It's from a traumatic event. Um, you know, losing your mother at a young age in a very traumatic way can will follow you forever and you'll have moments. Um, getting into a, a car wreck, every time you drive past that place, like, I, you know, you get into a car wreck and it was almost you probably came really close to seeing Jesus in your mind. Every time you drive past that place, you're going to have a moment where you're like, yeah. you know, and that's that's what it is. It's a response to a traumatic situation or a series of traumatic events. And if you don't feel if you don't feel like you can talk about it, if you don't feel like you can go get help without being labeled or ridiculed or or placed in that nice little box of this person's not army strong or not a marine or not a sailor you know that's that's where the crappy part comes in and nobody and this has come with maturity because of course like i told you i used to i used to join in with those jokes because you know my brothers and and my friends have been have been standing in the middle of taliban and and you know they don't have issues and i've done that before but it as i've gotten older and i i realized that your a person's mental strength is that person's mental strength. Yep. yep. You know, you can't take someone who's been who's been sheltered and it's like if I took if I took my daughter who's lived in you know relatively safe areas. She hasn't really had to deal with much other than infantry bombs going off and artillery and stuff in the background. If I took her and placed her in the middle of a in the middle of Brooklyn where they have fights and stuff and and guns constantly going off, she's going to freak out. Yeah. yeah. And that's going to bother her. So I think it's one of those things where we just we can't judge and we can't and I think as as a institute as far as the military and civilians go we have to be very careful about how and I don't think we can fix it yet. 
I don't think because you know we all do it. We go to the sensitivity briefings. We go to the the safety briefings, and we all crack jokes and ha ha ha. Don't don't beat your wife or your kids. Don't drink and drive. <laughs> don't swim. Don't drink and drive a boat or swim while you're drunk. Wear sunscreen. You know you get the safety briefings, and it's becoming a joke. And with suicide, unless your life has been touched by it. Not that I would wish that on anybody. Unless your life has been touched by you losing someone close to you from them harming themselves, people don't understand and they don't and they don't realize that when your mind can only take so much and coping is great and we can we can suck it up and drive on all day, but eventually your mind will get tired and your anger will come out and you'll hurt the ones closest to you because we seem to hurt those people because we think they'll never go anywhere. It's the same thing. It's it's the same thing every time. Like no one wants to sit through this the suicide prevention stand downs. Everybody gets irritated because it's thirteen hours of my life I'll never get back. And <laughs> and and you know you know the stories. It's like you go yeah. in there and you're like, oh god, I get to watch a video. We get to watch people cry on TV about how they're so sad. And we stop. We stop. You know, unless you've been touched by it, you stop thinking about how real it is. And yeah. it's just a pain in the ass. And people, it's an older generation thing too. You know, we, we, not just we, but people older than me, it was put in my head. You suck it up and you deal with it. Life sucks. Traumatic things happen. But you signed on to do this. And the thing is, is though, is yes, though we signed on to do it, at what point do we, you, no one's going to get help if they don't feel like they can't talk, they can talk to someone. They're never going to get help. Ever. And the family members can't do anything about it because what's the first thing a service member says to their significant other when they try to tell them, you're acting crazy, what's going on, you need help. You don't know what I've been through. Right. Shut up unless you've been there. Yep. That's the first thing that comes out of a service member's mouth or the first thought they have. And I, I think um, I think a little bit of – and that's that's one of the objectives of this, of this project is I'm trying to – bridge the gap between veteran and civilian and try to help people understand that there's actually, because like you mentioned, PTSD is about trauma. And granted, you know, your trauma came from combat, and that's something only you and those, you know, veterans will understand. But that's not to say that you can't sympathize with someone who's been in gangland Chicago or no. that you can't or that or someone who, you know, watched their mother get beaten, you know, like there, there's nothing. It's a different story, and the way you experience your PTSD is going to be different, but it's still – the diagnosis is still the same. Exactly. And, yeah, and it, I think that it's important for both sides to realize that there's actually a lot of commonalities there, and there's ways to intervene and establish rapport with each other to help, you know, understand. You know, earlier early you mentioned that, you know, you expressed to uh, to see that – that you were there for him. And I mm -hmm. think that's such a hard thing to communicate to somebody. It's really hard to make them understand what that means. It's so easy to tell someone like, I'm there, I'm, I'm here for you, but it's so hard to tell them like why or like, or, or what exactly it is that they can come to you for. Yeah. And I, did you, did you, did you have any difficulty making him understand that? Um, do you feel like he? Do you feel like when you when you were talking to him about that that he understood what he could come to you for? I think in the beginning that you know when someone says, "Hey, dude, I'm here for you," you know, anytime you need to talk, nobody 
most people are like, yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. But I'm not really going to talk to you about it because I've done it before myself. Like I can't, there's the way I've always said it is, is no one's, no one in my life is strong enough to handle me being weak. That's how I always looked at it. So I would never really take anyone up on that um, or not fully. So with him, it took me to, I think we're when we started going to the gym a lot and he would make comments about how his girlfriend wouldn't, wouldn't care for us training together or, or, you know, he can't really, he can't really talk to people about, he'd say little key things like, I can't really talk to her about this or I can't really talk to my guy friends or I can't tell anyone these things. Like, that's another story. We don't want to talk about that. That's bad. And I finally started talking to him, and I think what I put out I, one of the last few times that we trained together, um, we were sitting down stretching, and I was like, hey, I kind of told him about my assault and because he didn't understand why I had this issue with – we were joking one time, and he – something about him grabbing the back of my neck, you know, like, and s- squeezing the crap out of it. Mm. And I kind of, like, freaked out, and I was just like, dude, do me a favor – don't touch the back of my neck like that, please. Like not from behind, like don't walk up on me behind from behind and do that. Mm-hmm. And I explained what happened and then you know, we finished and he gave me a hug and he's just like, appreciate you telling me that. And I was like, hey, when I tell you that you can talk to me about anything, I promise you there is nothing that you would say that will cause me to judge you, think less of you. I promise you I've probably already heard it. Um, so when I say you can talk to me about anything, I really mean it. There's no judgment there and I won't even – and what I told him is like when I listen to you, it's not – I'm not going to give you – it's not to give you my opinion on the issue unless you ask for it. I just listen because you probably need that. I think toward the end he understood because you know, I asked him but because he started opening up a lot more, on like way – so much more. Um, but you know, I get – when you get to the point of no return – Anything anyone says at that point doesn't matter. This conversation with Miley really brings forward, emphasizes, and reiterates some of the points that we've made in some of the previous episodes and brings forward a couple new ones. One that we keep on seeing in some of these conversations is how it how veterans are afraid it's going to ruin their career. And it's really it's really heartbreaking to think that we're losing veterans to suicide because of job security, that they are afraid that they may lose their employment in the community and subculture that they most uh, feel like they most belong to, and so they decide to kill themselves. It's definitely one of the stigmas that we need to fight more inside the active duty military culture. The I'm here for you statement is so easy to say. It's necessary. It can do a lot. But as, I ha- as I've told other people, it needs to have meaning. It needs to have a direct example. It needs to have purpose. So letting someone know, hey, I'm here for you, or hey, you can talk to me anytime, it's so broad that you may not even be communicating properly to that person what you really mean or what scenario they should reach out to you to. But if you know they're struggling with something, it doesn't even have to be suicide. If you know they're struggling with something, you can tell them, hey, you know, hey, if you wake up in the middle of the night, feel free to call me, free feel to text me. I may not answer. I may not wake up. I'm sorry if I don't, but call me. You have that green light. Uh, If you get into another fight with your girlfriend, if you get into another fight with your spouse, call me. I'm around. I'm here for you. Give them specific examples so that way when that event occurs again, there's a chance that that offer 
comes up in their mind, and because you were direct about what scenario they're absolutely allowed to contact you in, maybe they will. Maybe they will. You don't want someone to go through negative emotions and not think about calling you when you've offered to be be there for them because they're unsure if that's one of the scenarios that they're allowed to reach out for you to. Because let's be honest, you can talk to me anytime. That word anytime doesn't really mean what it's supposed to when it's just communicated that way. We all, we all respect it. We all know that it's sincere. It just doesn't land the way that we think it should. We all go through guilt and shame about not doing enough when we find out someone has taken their life. It's something that's normal. It's something you're going to go through. It sucks. As Miley's mentioned, sometimes it can even feel a little bit selfish when it occurs too soon. It's normal. It's going to happen. And unfortunately, uh, it's just something... I think that as long as you don't let yourself uh, go through any sense of self-hate or self-loathing because of it, it can actually be healthy because when we get a chance to reflect on things that have happened and go through that hindsight, we can grow, we can better our opportunity to make a difference in someone's life when this happens again. Like the Army veteran mentioned a few episodes ago, he took what happened to his friend and he flipped and he took everything that he learned and he applied it to the next soldier that came to him with, uh, for help and it worked. One thing that sort of stood out to me in this interview with Miley is when she, when she mentioned that when her friends would go to her, uh, the friend that committed suicide and try to discourage him from doing certain things because they thought it was bad for him, I think that maybe that's uh that's more toxic than it is helpful and it's really easy for us to tell tell each other you need to stop doing this you need to stop doing that you need to you know quit doing this you need to you're doing this wrong i think negative dis, you know negative um advice and any sort of discouragement it might lead to worse behavior because you're putting a negative spin on the contr- and constructive criticism and while Many of us can deal with that. Maybe someone who's in that emotional uh, emotional state, maybe that's not the right way for them to approach their problems. And while I don't have the, the, the best answer to how to do that differently, maybe finding a positive way uh, to communicate something is best. And an example would be, you know, instead of someone, instead of saying something like, um, hey, I'm going to tell you something that's going to make you angry. Say something like, hey, um, you're not going to be happy about this. And what's funny about it and the difference between that is instead of telling someone you're going to be angry when I tell this, you're using the word happy and you're letting that be the trigger inside their head. So finding positive words to use when communicating something, maybe instead of, hey, instead of, hey, you need to stop dating that person, they're bad, maybe tell them, hey, you need to, I think you need to start hanging out with people that are more positive. This is, these aren't the best, uh, these aren't the perfect examples, but I think you understand what I mean. And lastly, another thing that we see so often and often again that Miley brings up is being that guy. And, you know, walking into a room fearing, fearing that everybody looks at you as that person who attempted suicide, that person who is struggling with PTSD, that person who is constantly sad, it's not a good feeling. You don't want to be that person. And, in a lot of uh, in a lot of networks and 
a lot of clicks, you know, it's labeled as that guy or that person. And um, it's, it's just another example of, of the stigma that we need to remove. The resource for today uh, is one that I wanted to, re- wanted to recommend a while ago. Didn't think it really fit, but then decided, no, it, it works. It's a book by James Altucher called Choose Yourself. And it's about, it's, it's James Altucher looking at the state of today, looking through the struggles that he's gone through, and sort of the mental process it takes to really choosing yourself, doing what makes you happy, and moving forward with a prosperous life that fits your personality and stuff that you actually want to do. And I think it, it fits really well with the idea of renewed purpose. And while this is self-inspiring renewed purpose, um, it definitely uh, is the most important, I think. And while it's difficult to get people who are going through uh, suicidal behavior and emotional distress and depression, it's, well, it's hard to get them to really do self-motivated renewed purpose and to, to find a new way for them to become happy, maybe it's a, maybe this is a good book, I think, for uh, to get in people's hands as they're leaving the military or before we see signs and suicide and maybe, we'll, maybe we can derail that. So Choose Yourself by James Altucher. If you'd like to learn more about the project, future events that are coming up, if you'd like me to be involved in a event that you may have going on, go to onetoomanyproject.com. That's O-N-E, the number two, manyproject.com. Information's there. My contact info is there. All of the episodes released up until this point are available at the website. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We're on SoundCloud. There's ways to listen to the rest of these episodes if you would like to to back catalog and see what else that we've been putting out if this is in case indeed your first episode. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate the support. I will see you next week.